Welcome to News Kids. I'm Rose. And I'm Zara. And together we're presenting this weekly podcast about what's going on in our world today. Each week we cover top stories across world news, politics, science, technology, entertainment and arts. This week we're talking about the Queen's speech and countdown to Brexit, Extinction Rebellion protests, the Royal Tour of Pakistan, World Food Day and Robots Solving Rubik's Cubes. Hi, it's Rose here. So, what's the latest on Brexit? Late last week, Boris Johnson travelled to an important conference in Brussels in Belgium for talks with European leaders with the hope of reaching a deal before the Brexit deadline of 31st October. Much to the surprise of lots of people, Boris Johnson was successful in agreeing a deal, which was based on a previous agreement negotiated by Theresa May, but with several important differences. Boris's deal saw the controversial plans for a hard border between Ireland and Northern Ireland ripped up, instead putting in place new border checks on the Irish Sea. While some people were pleased a deal has been agreed, lots of politicians were unhappy with these proposed plans, including some in Northern Ireland representing the Democratic Unionist Party, or DUP. Lots of MPs were also unhappy with with the speed at which they were being asked to agree the deal without having the time to consider all its points carefully. So on what has been called Super Saturday, 19th October, members of Parliament gathered to vote on the Brexit deal, with Boris Johnson pushing heavily for the deal to be agreed. However, the vote never happened as instead MPs voted for something called an elect win amendment, which means that Brexit will have to be delayed until the legislature necessary to support any deal has been passed. It was very close. The government lost by just 16 votes by 322 to 306. The Letwin Amendment was proposed by Sir Oliver Letwin MP and was designed to close a legal loophole which might have allowed a Brexit deal to be passed and Britain to leave the EU, only to see the deal collapse down the line because it could not be implemented. Because the Letwin Amendment was passed by MPs, something called the Ben Act came into force, which is a law designed to prevent a no-deal Brexit. As a result, Boris Johnson was forced to write a letter on Saturday night to the EU asking for a three-month extension to the 31st October Brexit deadline. Although he also wrote a second letter at the same time saying he personally didn't want this to happen. It's too complicated. Mr Johnson wants to bring in legislation this week called the Withdrawal Agreement Bill to implement the deal he struck with Brussels. And if this happens, then MPs could be then given the opportunity to vote on the deal. Meanwhile, thousands of people marched to the Parliament Square over the weekend in protest at the Brexit turmoil and calling for a second opportunity to vote on whether Britain should leave the EU. Hello, it's Zara here. Speaking of protests, this week was the final week of the two-week long protest started by Extinction Rebellion in the UK. Extinction Rebellion are an international activist 
organization and they say that they use non-violent direct action to persuade governments to act on the climate and ecological emergency. On Monday the 14th of October, the Metropolitan Police issued a statement banning two or more people linked to Extinction Rebellion from assembling in London. However, the Extinction Rebellion protests continued. To draw attention to their message, members of the Extinction Rebellion have glued themselves to chains, blocked traffic and chained themselves outside the houses of politicians. Earlier in the week, activists blocked Oxford Circus with a wooden pyramid structure. One man who was dressed up as Boris Johnson even scaled the scaffolding surrounded Big Ben. More than 1,760 arrests have been made in connection with the London protests. The two weeks of protests have now come to an end and Extinction Rebellion held a closing ceremony in Trafalgar Square to mark the end of the, of the protests following which the police lifted their ban because their protests had ended. Initially, people were supportive of the protest and during the first week, whilst the group was targeting the government by occupying various sites around Westminster, members of the public even bought food and warm clothing to the group's campsites. But in the second week of protests, when the group's focus has shifted to things that affect ordinary people, like blockades on the tube network, the public have been very annoyed by the protesters. Extinction Rebellion say that anyone who is annoyed by the protests should find out more about how serious the ecological and climate crisis is. However, they do know that people do need to be able to get to work and get through their day and said, we don't always get it right, which suggests that they know that they may have gone too far. So, Sarah, what do you think? Did they go too far? I do, but look at us now. We're all talking about it, so they have raised some awareness. Yeah. Protesting is good because it raises awareness, but sometimes if you protest too hard, it's not that nice for ordinary people. Well, we don't want anyone to get hurt, do we? Remember when the suffragettes, when Emily Davison threw herself under the king's horse to raise even more awareness, and we certainly don't want that to happen again. I do think that these protesters from suffragettes to these protesters that we're talking about, but why can't they just put up signs everywhere just saying these kind of things instead of doing some insanely crazy things? I know, and they can also lead a small parade, but not making too much noise or maybe not going too out of hand. So ordinary people don't find this too annoying. You're right, Rose, because now I bet everyone's thinking how bad these people are when really all they're trying to do is just raise awareness that we need to do something and help climate change. Extinction Rebellion are saying this is a climate emergency. What do you think, Zara? Is it really an emergency? I don't exactly think so. I think it's something that we need to deal with, but it's not that much of an emergency. It is a little bit of an emergency, but it will take time for us to find out. So you might as well not panic and calm down. And 
The protesters are basically making climate change worse because we should be encouraging people to use public transport. But they're just blocking it. And if they're blocking cheap trains, then people will have to take taxis and cars. And that'll just be worse for the environment. Hi, it's Rose here. Last week, Her Majesty the Queen gave an important speech at a ceremony marking the state opening of Parliament. The Queen's speech is normally an annual event, marking the start of the parliamentary year and provides the government with an opportunity to showcase its upcoming priorities. However, this is the first Queen's speech since June 2017, as the previous Prime Minister, Theresa May, wanted a two-year parliamentary session to focus on Brexit. Traditions surrounding the state opening of Parliament and the Queen's speech can be traced back to the 16th century. The ceremony begins with a procession when the Queen travels from Buckingham Palace to Westminster and takes her place on the throne in the House of Lords. Members of Parliament are then summoned to the House of Lords by an official known as Black Rod. Before entering the Commons, Black Rod has the doors shut in their face, symbolising the chambers independence from the monarchy and has to bang on the door three times for it to be opened. Monday's speech was the 65th of Elizabeth II's reign. It outlined the government's agenda for the coming parliamentary session, summarising 26 proposed new laws across health, education, defence and technology. But the speech also made clear that Boris Johnson's top priority is Brexit. Once the Queen leaves, Parliament goes back to work with each house meeting separately to begin debating the content of the speech. After this, which takes a few days, members of parliament vote on it. It is extremely rare for a government to lose its vote, but anything is possible these days. If they do lose the vote, it means members of parliament reject the government's plans to bring in new laws, and it may result in another change of leadership on general election. For these reasons, it's likely the government will push back a vote on the Queen's speech until after Parliament debates the Brexit deal. It's Zara again. This week, on the 16th of October, it was World Food Day, which is a day dedicated to tackling global hunger. World Food Day is held annually to commemorate the founding of the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, the FAO. Each year, there is a different theme. This year, the FAO is focusing on the importance of healthy diets in tackling global hunger. Lots of people do not have enough food. However, we also have to pay attention to people with poor diets who can also suffer from malnutrition. The FAO says that it is very important to ensure that healthy diets are both affordable and available to all. At the same time, the FAO is calling on everyone to start thinking about what they eat. The FAO said that in recent years, we have moved from seasonal, plant-based and fibre-rich dishes to diets that have a lot of sugar, fat, salt, 
processed foods, meat and other animal source products. A lot less time is spent preparing meals at home and lots of people rely on supermarkets, takeaway restaurants and fast food outlets. Unhealthy diets are one of the leading risk factors linked to disease and death worldwide. Every year, a large number of events, from marathons and hunger marches to exhibitions, contests and concerts, are organised across the world to celebrate World Food Day and draw attention to the issue of global hunger and for the need to ensure food security and nutritious diets for all. The FAO is encouraging everyone to take action. Some of the ways that you can do this based on this year's theme are consider the environmental impact of the food that you eat, have a look at your country's dietary guidelines, try and prepare meals at home, exercise for at least 30 minutes a day and ask for healthier meal choices and finally talk to people and share your knowledge about food like we are doing now. The FAO says that governments and individuals can all take action to promote healthy diets and achieve zero hunger. And this year, the FAO wants to make sure that nutritious foods that constitute a healthy diet are available and affordable for more people. I'm glad they're raising awareness for global hunger because there's a lot of people who are starving. We need to feed them and I feel personally even more terrible when I think about how much food supermarkets and restaurants are throwing away. I heard on the news that some UK schools are setting up food fridges for families, children and adults that don't have enough money for these kind of food. I think that it's a brilliant idea that they do these fridges. That's like the Ramazan fridges we have in Dubai, isn't it, Rose? Yes. I think we should try to eat more sustainably, right, Rose? That's absolutely correct. I'm trying to cut down meat, so I can help the environment a little bit. I really enjoy eating fish, fruit and vegetables. So do eyebrows. Well, when I buy fish, I look if it was lion caught or net caught. If it was net caught, I try to find another product, which is of the same thing. What does lion caught mean? Like, when you go out with a fishing rod, because that can only take one from the ocean. But net can take thousands, and they only use one or two. And sometimes when you know that they've been caught sustainably, they taste better. Wow. Hello, this is Zara. I absolutely love news stories about the British royal family. And so this week, I was very excited as the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge carried out the first official royal visit to Pakistan in 13 years. The aim of the visit was to boost ties between Britain and Pakistan, which is one of the founding members of the Commonwealth. The Commonwealth is a collection of countries that, apart from Mozambique, are linked to Great Britain in some way. Many years ago, Britain used to control lots of these countries as part of the British Empire. These countries are now independent and no longer part of the British Empire, but all 53 countries of the Commonwealth have signed up to a set of values, including democracy, gender equality and international peace and security. 
The Queen is head of the Commonwealth and the trip by the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge was organised at the request of the Foreign and Commonwealth Office. Prince William and his wife have had a very busy tour of Pakistan. They met Pakistan's Prime Minister Imran Khan at his residence. They played some cricket, not with the Prime Minister though, who was once a famous cricketer. They visited the famous Badshahi Mosque in Lahore, which Prince William's mother, Princess Diana, visited when she visited Pakistan back in 1991. The royal couple also spent some time at the Shawkit Khanum Memorial Cancer Hospital, which was set up by Imran Khan after his mother died of cancer in 1985. The royal couple are now back in England after a very successful visit. Hi, it's Rose here. The BBC reported this week that a robot hand has successfully solved a Rubik's Cube, a three-dimensional puzzle invented in 1974 by a Hungarian architect called Erno Rubik. The cube, made up of nine coloured squares on each side, can be rearranged in 43 quintillion different ways. That is, 43 Zero 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 zero. Wow, that's a lot of zeros. Researchers from OpenAI's robotics division used a computer simulation to teach the robot hand called Dactyl to solve the cube by running through routines that would take a single human some 10,000 years to complete. Although the robot did not have a 100% success rate, it generally took around 4 minutes to complete this task. By contrast, the fastest record for a human to complete it is 3.47 seconds, achieved by Yusheng Du in 2018. This is not the first time that a robot has been used to solve a Rubik's Cube. In March last year, a machine developed by engineers at MIT managed to solve a Rubik's Cube in just 0.38 seconds. However, the difference with an open AI's attempt is that it used a multi-purpose robot shaped like a human hand to complete the task. Rather than a machine specifically designed to handle a Rubik's Cube and nothing else. To learn how to solve a Rubik's Cube one-handed, OpenAI reportedly did not actually program Dactyl to do it and also chose not to program individual motions for the hand to perform so the robot would learn these movements on its own. Instead, the robotics team gave the hand's underlying software the end goal of solving the cube and used modern artificial intelligence to help it along the path toward figuring it out on its own. The team also tried to interrupt the robot by nudging the Rubik's Cube with a soft toy to see how it responded. While instinctive to humans, handling interruptions or complications when holding objects is seen as a grand challenge of robotics and this is a problem that will need to be solved if advanced robotics are to become commonplace in homes and businesses in the future. That's all for this week. I hope you enjoyed our show and thank you for listening.